Hello and welcome. We're pleased to have you tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. There is a beautiful verse in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that reads, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Throughout history, even back to the times of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, people have tried to destroy, bury and generally ignore the word of God as it's recorded in the Bible, but to no avail. As we'll discover, the word of God cannot be suppressed. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 36 this week, his message titled The Real Phoenix. So I hope that as we look at this, your, your heart is stirred, not, not to hear, no, I've got to read the Bible, but yeah, I want to read, I want, to, I want this to be food for my soul, like manna in the ancient times for the Israelites, that, that heavenly bread that came down, and, and in the same sense, God has given us what he calls the bread of life, the word of life, so that we can feast as well. But we are living in a generation, I think, unfortunately, where, where pop Christian culture seems to take precedence over biblical Christianity. If, if you're not reading your Bible regularly, and I would love it if you read it every day, and if you're not, then may that gentle rebuke that says, come on, let's do it, be taken as a fatherly hand on the shoulder. So this is the real phoenix. You know, and if you've seen... Harry Potter, which I saw for ministry purposes, so I could know how to relate to people who are sort of in that world. Uh, there's a bird. You remember that? But it's, it, it didn't start with Harry Potter, by the way. It started with the ancient Greeks. It's a mythical bird. And it's a bird that apparently that can poof, go up in flames. And the, the, the ashes, then out of the ashes, it reassembles and comes back to life again. That here, the real phoenix, okay, there's a mythological phoenix. You can burn it and it comes back to life. Well, that's mythological. But let me show you something in this text that shows, I hope you'll see that the word of God is the real phoenix. 27 of our text in Jeremiah 36. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, just... Let's just pause here because here's the king. We've just seen him. What happened was that it was red and the king took his sword and he sliced off, he sliced it. He cut pieces of the the scripture. He cut them up, poked and then burned them in the fire. And so we have this, this picture of the king cutting it up and destroying it, thinking, well, that's it. That'll be never heard again. You know, there's a word for something that cannot be destroyed. Um, indestructible, here's a word, indomitable, probably not a word that we use regularly because there is nothing that we deal with that is indestructible. Pretty much everything made of material can be destroyed in some way. But the word of God is indomitable. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be conquered. It cannot be beaten, assailed, and it is invincible. Uh, what is it about indomitable that opponents of the Bible don't get? It's just a, a question I thought I'd ask here. And we, Here's an, an interesting poem written by Sir Walter Scott. and It's a, it's a sober poem. And he wrote this at, at a time when there was a great deal of tension in England about spiritual things, Christian things. And, and you may be aware that England at one point had monarchs on the throne who ordered the death 
of Christians who made the Bible known. And Walter Scott says this, Sir Walter Scott, Within this ample volume lies the mystery of mysteries. Happiest are they of human race to whom their God has given grace. To read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch and force the way. And better had they ne'er been born that to read, to doubt or read. To scorn. Hmm. A very sober sentiment. Well, many people treat the Bible just like Jehoiakim. We're actually going back in time a little bit. And, and the point here is we've got in this, in chapter 36, it's not chapter 1, it's chapter 36, but it's actually going back pre sort of chapter 20 ish or so. And we're going back in time. And one of the reasons is Jeremiah is actually not writing to Jehoiakim because he's gone and and the the everyone reading this would know that the very thing that that he's reminding his audience that King Jehoiakim read about the very thing that he didn't like actually happened and now his brother his brother Jehoiachin was renamed Zedekiah and and so when when we read of King Zedekiah that's the name that Nebuchadnezzar who came in dealt with Jehoiakim, that king, who is saying, I, I reject Jeremiah's word that the king of Babylon is going to come in and conquer. And after the king of Babylon came in and conquered, we have his brother being appointed and renamed Zedekiah. So many people treat the Bible like Jehoiakim, you know, taking a knife to it and just cut. I don't like that bit. We'll just cut that bit out. I don't like that bit. We'll cut it out. I remember growing up hearing... Um, people talk like that. I went to, at, at one point, uh, we went to a church that, an, an Anglican church, and, and uh, in the Anglican church there were some really godly people who loved God and loved the Bible. And there are others who don't necessarily have that same kind of passion, and they regard the Bible as containing the Word of God, not being the Word of God. So if you understand the difference... One contains the word of God. In other words, there are some bits, well, take it or leave it. But there are some bits that are good. They're inspired by God, but you've got to find them. And really what they're doing is, is exactly what Jehoiakim was doing, cutting out the bits they don't like. So what do you do when you're confronted with the scriptures that tell us how we are to conduct ourselves? How we are to conduct ourselves sexually? What do you do with that? And I'm going to suggest to you that everything in the Bible is written for our welfare. It's there for our good. And the amazing thing about the Bible is it doesn't just point out where the landmines are. It points out what you can do if you've actually stood on one. If you've actually discovered that life hurts, if you've actually discovered that people can betray you, things can happen in life that rock you, rock your world. We heard this morning someone say, life has earthquakes, life has storms. When you experience those things, God's word says, here's how you can navigate through them. And I found that to be so. Uh, In times of intense grief, in times of intense sadness, in times of intense discouragement, we we come to God's word and we we see light. We see a way through that. This is all part of it. Now here's Jehoiakim. This is the first, that I'm aware of, the first reference 
to someone trying to destroy the written word of God. It's the first reference in scripture that we have of it. It's not the last, but it's the first. Now, if if you're familiar with history, you might be familiar with some of these other names. Because sort of after after the Greek world empire and before the Roman world empire, there was this guy called Antiochus. Antiochus was, a, was, was an emperor of sorts and he came and he conquered Jerusalem. And one of the things he did was he took the Bibles that were available and, and he had them destroyed. But he wasn't the last one to do that either. After him was a guy by the name of uh, Roman Emperor Diocletian. Uh, Diocletian and a couple of Roman emperors after him as well, but we'll sort of group them together. They actually banned the, the Bible, the written manuscripts of the, the 27 books of the New Testament and ordered for those to be destroyed as well. In fact, in North Africa, around the middle of the second century, what happened was the Roman emperors at that time, the persecution was so intense, they would, they would find out where the Christians were meeting. And by the way, the early Christians met on a Sunday and they would meet from morning until late at night. Six, seven hour church service. How's that? Today, we just take a break for lunch. Meet in the morning, go home, have lunch, have a bit of a rest. Used to go home, have a bit of a rest, watch World Championship Wrestling, but that's not on TV anymore. So, And then come back at night. But well, they would just meet and, and, and in there they would have a feast, a bit of a, a lunch together. And, that, and it was the whole day, people traveling in and the whole thing. So if you read the New Testament in that context, you'll you'll understand why the early Christians saw Sunday as so important. But what happens, the, the Romans would discover where these meetings were, they would burst in, they would find the one Bible these people had. I mean, they weren't coming for 90 minutes or you know, 70 minutes or whatever. They were coming because this is the only time of the week where they would get to hear the word of God and they wanted to soak it in. And the Romans would burst in and they would demand, give us your copy of the Bible. And some of the pastors of that church guarded the location of that Bible with their life. Many of them were executed on the spot. Many of them refused to hand it over and suffered horribly, tortured and suffered horribly because they wouldn't hand over what we now just take for granted. We have it, we have it as an app on our phones and our iPads and tablets and things. And it's not that big a deal now. Well, it was then. And in fact, those Christians that, that said, okay, here it is, they handed it over, they became known as, it sounds like the word traitor, but it was actually the word traditor, someone who relinquishes, someone who gives it up. And after Domitian and those, 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 that Roman persecution ended, the church met and said, how should we treat these people who gave up the word of God? And it was a big deal in the early church. And so I want to really give you the sense of the gravity of of the fact that you've got a Bible on your lap. It's because people literally, literally died so you could. This is not this has got this is bloodstained pages in one sense. So so get the importance of, of, of the Bible here. So Diocletian and then amazingly through the Middle Ages, several popes tried to eradicate the Bible as well. Now, why would they do that? Because the message of the Bible contradicts on so many levels the message that the popes of the Roman Catholic Church were promoting. Hence, the Reformation, the protest or the foundation of Protestantism. So, 
Isaiah said this, Isaiah 40 verse 8, and this, this tells us something about the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God will stand forever. So let, let's appreciate that this is indestructible. You can't get rid of it. This is the word of God. Verse 28, take another scroll. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Well, the very thing that Jehoiakim opposed, the very thing he despised about the Bible was the very thing he ended up experiencing. He was deposed by the king of Babylon. He was taken away. And we read that he was humiliated for the rest of his days because of it. Um, so it's, it's interesting that the very thing that would sometimes people have as their issue against the Bible, I don't, like, I don't like what the Bible says about whatever. And let's, let's I'm sort of mentioned it before, and it is such a big deal for people about sexuality and how we conduct ourselves sexually. But the Bible is actually, it, it's actually written by the God who, who invented sex. Do you think you might know something about it? Well, I'm going to suggest he knows infinitely all there is to know about it. And he knows how you maximize its benefit. And when he says you shouldn't do this, he's got our best interests at heart. So, verse 30, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and frost by night. It doesn't sound good, does it? This sounds like a warning. You know, and we, we, we are reminded of this. Jeremiah is writing this and publishing this. And it's being written so that his brother can read it and remember. Remember I said this? Remember? Remember the king said, who are you, Jeremiah? You're just a young man. What would you know? This will never happen. Remember when I was 13 years of age and I was prophesying? in the streets of Jerusalem, that, ba- that God was going to raise up Babylon as a world empire and they were going to come in and destroy it. And you all mocked me. You laughed at me. You said, Babylon, Babylon will never be a world empire. Nebuchadnezzar will never conquer Egypt. He will never conquer these nations. Remember how you mocked me for what I was declaring to you? Remember how it happened? Exactly as I said. Remember what I said to King Jehoiakim? And remember how it happened exactly. What do we call this process? We call this process warning. Warning. (laughs) And it's interesting if you do a Bible study, and it's so easy now with these Bible apps and things like this, just to put in the words warning or warn in the New Testament. You'll be stunned at how often the New Testament uses that word warn. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses it something like 8 to 12 times, depending on your translation. Who would have thought the Bible actually is warning so let's see this in a moment but um, i have pronounced against him and they would not hear verse 32 the closing verse in this section and jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to brook the scribe the son of neriah who wrote on it at the dictation of jeremiah all the words of the scroll 
that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire and many similar words were added to them. There's a lot we could say about this. We could say that because you might think, well, if God was to rewrite the Bible, would he add anything to it now? No, it's complete. Why did Jeremiah add to it? Because God told him to. That's how inspiration works. And the Bible actually says, and this is for those Mormons who are listening, as there are, the Bible actually says you shall not add to the words of this book. You shall not do it. And, and most Mormons have been told that this is only the first two of the four books that God gave. When this book itself clearly, plainly says in its closing verses, do not add to this book. It is finished now. The 66 books of the Bible are closed. But we notice this, that Jeremiah is giving a little bit of information, then it gets rewritten and there's more information put there. We call that progressive revelation. And as you read through from Genesis 1.1 and you read through to Revelation 22.21, what you're going to see is some things are introduced. They're just introduced. And then later on, they're expounded upon. And then later on uh, in the New Testament, they're explained. That's called progressive revelation. Things are revealed and recorded progressively and it culminates in what we call the canon. Canon means rule or standard, the measure. And we have the 66 books of the Bible that are the canon. That, that is it now. It's the ultimate authority for God's ways, will and word on earth. Now, when we look at this, we, we could look at this and think, well, why didn't this guy get it? Why, why did King Jehoiakim so... Why did he defy God so much? In fact, one of the questions that was asked of Hugh Ross, when you present this clear evidence scientifically for there being a God, why do scientists still refuse to surrender to God? And, and the Bible actually gives the answer. In fact, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, because there's something in the human heart that is obstinately proud. And, you know, pride will destroy you. But in life, there are so many things where we, in our pride, refuse to bow. I will not lower myself. I will not go down. And the result is a crash. The result is a crash. And as I look at that, I think, and I've got to be careful that when someone comes up to me with a good suggestion, and the problem, how do you define a good suggestion? Any suggestion I originate. Every man knows what I'm talking about, right? If you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, they try to get the, the dad to realise something and they said, well, there's only one way to go about it. That is to get him to think that it's his idea. Oh, but the Windex will fix that. Anyway, so, so when, when someone comes up to me with a good suggestion and it's a good... Sometimes my pride lifts the nose and goes, oh, I'm going to fly above that. Whereas the wisdom of Scripture says, come on, don't be so proud. Sometimes you've got to go down. And sometimes in life you're doing something and you keep lifting. Oh, I'll get over this. Oh, I'll be right. I don't need people's help. I don't need prayer from the church. Crash. Sometimes you've got to go, I need some prayer right now. I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I think I'm right with God. 
I'll be okay with the old man upstairs. I'll die. I'll stand before him. Oh, I'll be okay. I'm not as bad as some. All of that is just lifting the nose up and it's going to create a certain crash, a certain crash. And the humble person, which is what Jehoiakim should have done, would have said, Jeremiah's right. I've been proud. I've been arrogant. I should humble myself. I should tell God I'm sorry. And I should turn to him and ask him to forgive me and to help me. And when you get that, there's a sense of urgency to heed his word. And as I said to you before, I hope that we have that urgency. You know, church is not just about, gee, I hope we get good numbers on a Sunday. I mean, look around, praise God, it's awesome. But church is about us urgently heeding the warnings of God. I want to give you a couple of warnings that Paul mentions and then we're done. But I'm reminded of Deal Moody, who was, a, who was an average evangelist preaching away and he preached in Chicago and he was just, you know, and he said something like this. So if you haven't given your life to Christ, I want you to really go away and think about it. And, you know, when you're ready, give your life to Christ. He went home that night. This is late 1800s, uh, middle to late 1800s. He went home that night and Chicago suffered a, a historically worst fire it's, it's ever experienced. Thousands, I think tens of thousands of lives were lost that night, including most of the people that were in that meeting where Deal Moody preached. And he was haunted for the rest of his life that he, as an evangelist, as a pastor, as a preacher, had failed those people. Because it's not a matter of when you're ready. And Deal Moody realised what a fool he'd been. And from that moment, he determined that every time he preached, he would plead with people, warn people to turn to the Saviour because there was no other way. And there was no time to delay. And he became one of the most effective evangelists ever to have lived. Here's something that Paul said, Colossians 1.28. It's just one of the warnings that Paul gives. Him we proclaim, that's Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Hebrews 12.25 says this, Take care not to refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less shall we if we reject the one who warns from heaven? God is warning this generation. It is a generation that's being warned of eternal peril. You don't get a second chance after you die. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. This is it. And here's my question as we conclude. Have you heeded? It's one thing to hear, but as Hebrews 12.25 says, have you heeded the word of God's warnings? See, for me as a believer, the word of God's warning is, come on, Andrew, you're not here to live for yourself to make sure you have a comfortable life. You're here to bring as many as you can with you into heaven, into eternal life. Come on, don't be slack in what you know. And for, for others, you might be here and you might be going, but my life is so screwed up, it's so messed up, my life is a disaster. And I've got great news for you. Great news for you. God can take your life right now. He can forgive you. He can cleanse you. He can restore you. There may be consequences, but I tell you what, the consequences will be managed 
to their absolute best if you give your life to him. If you give your life to him. Without him, you're on your own, Jack. And that's not a good outlook. But with him, you can know forgiveness of your sin. You could die tonight and stand before him knowing that you have exchanged your sin and guilt with his forgiveness and offer of eternal life. Have you made that exchange? And I would be a fool to think everyone in this room has done it. There are some here. There are some here and you have not transacted. You have not given to God your condition and received from him his forgiveness and eternal life. What a deal. What a deal. Why would you not want that? Let's pray. Father, help me as pastor of this church to model the kind of urgency that you want everyone to have a sense of urgency that says i don't i can't waste a moment i don't live for myself those people that i'm rude to i could be putting a stumbling block in front of before they accept christ oh god forgive me for the times i've done that father i pray that you put within me an urgency to reach as many people for jesus as i can not just from this pulpit not just from those positions of influence that you've that you've graced me with but father when i'm on my own when i'm on a tennis court when i'm in the shops when i'm in my children's school in those places where people see me help me to be someone who's living an urgent witness for you and i pray father for each of us that we will have a heart and a vision for those people who do not yet know christ and father for those that are here today and just let me talk to you eyes closed heads bowed you've never transacted you've never exchanged your guilt and shame your broken life and your past for the new life the forgiveness the eternal life that god offers you right now and he is he's offering it to you right now you are one prayer away from a brand new life and there's no other option beyond the grave there's only one question god will ask did you receive what i offered and you will not be able to say to him, no i came up with my own deal There is no other deal. It's his deal. And his deal is this. Let me take your past, your shame, your guilt, your brokenness. Give it to me. And I will give you forgiveness, peace, eternal life. If that's what you want, that's why Jesus died. He died on that cross nearly 2,000 years ago to transact that very thing. Will you right now receive the grace of the forgiveness, eternal life of God. If you will, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, please forgive me of my sin and my guilt. I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for me in my place. I now ask for for the gifts that you offer me, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I give you my life and I pray you help me to live for you. Amen. Amen. The Word of God is living and powerful and cannot be suppressed. Even if you burn the pages it's written on and many have tried. How have you responded to God's Word? More from Dr. Corbett next week with Revival Might Not Be Coming. 
Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Real Phoenix, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.